We're going to talk today out of Psalm 86 about the theme for this week for the children. It's an amazing thing that I love about Scripture is, that I love about God's Word, that I love about God and His teaching with us is, sometimes all of us, no matter how old or young we are, no matter how mature or new in the faith we are, it is good sometimes just to go back and review the basics. Sometimes while I'm preparing, and I will be teaching in uh, the 5th and 6th grade this week, as we'll be talking about God's unshakable truth, as we'll be talking about that, I'll find myself in preparing a vacation Bible school lesson, discovering something in the text that impacts me. Even more so sometimes than while I'm off at school at seminary studying. Because sometimes the most basic aspects of the faith are those things that touch our heart the most. And in Psalm 86, 11, you have this understanding that, that he wants, David wants the Lord to know that he is in a difficult time. It's very difficult. He's having troubles on all sides. And in 86, 11, he says, but, but here's the solution. He, he states just before that, there's no gods like you, Lord. There's nobody like you. And in 86, 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear Your name. Teach me Your way, O Lord, and I will walk in Your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear Your name. The theme of this week in the Vacation Bible School is that we're going to Outrigger Island, Hawaiian theme, but the, 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 the Scripture underneath that or the theme underneath that is that we are going to live in God's unshakable truth. And we live in a culture that tries to tell us that truth is not unshakable. We live in a culture that tries to tell us that truth is is something that can be discussed and changed and agreed upon it, that you can bring everybody together and kind of vote about things and that it all comes together. But the truth is that God teaches that His truth is unshakable. In fact, in John chapter 14, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That we find our truth in Jesus. Now, I find that interesting because... Uh, in November of 2006, a lady named Catherine Scorey was elected as the uh, leader of a major denomination. And as she was elected over this denomination, they were doing the interviews that they always do with those leaders. And what's your agenda and what do you think? And they asked her what she thought about truth. And she says, well, I don't believe that God is the only way to heaven as we have prescribed in Scripture. She said, in fact, I think if you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that you're putting God in a very small box. Because no one person can encompass all truth. Now, here's what I'm here to tell you today. One person can and does embody all truth. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to study today is how do we live that out? Because you see, truth is important to understand. Truth is important to talk about. And truth is important to live. And what God has done in His Scripture is He has given us the understanding of His truth. He's written us a love letter. He's written us a letter that we can understand what God is intending for us to do. And what David tells us in this passage is there are three things that we need to do if we're going to live as God wants us to live. First of all, we must know the truth. We must know the truth. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but studies today show that physically Christians, or not Christians, Americans 
are malnourished. Do you know that? No, now, now, listen, we are not underfed. Amen? I don't need to point out examples, do I? Starting with myself. We're not underfed. But we're malnourished. We have at our disposal every imaginable thing you could want to eat, and yet Christians in America and Americans in general are malnourished. It's amazing to me to hear stories about people that are malnourished. I, I remember reading a story about a guy named Howard Hughes. Anybody know that name? Wealthy, wealthy man. A movie came out about him called The Aviator a couple of years ago. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in that. And reading a story, anybody know how he died? He died of starvation, malnourishment. This was a man that was multimillionaire but could not figure out what to eat. I was reading some statistics about Americans in general, and you'll find this interesting, that in the early 1900s, the average American ate less than a pound of sugar a year. Today, Americans eat 140 pounds of sugar a year. Forty years ago, the average American ate four pounds of french fries a year. Some of us have four pounds of french fries in our cars right now. <laughs> this, this last study showed that in the average year now, we eat 30 pounds of french fries. You know what would be an interesting thing? If I was a real good preacher, I would have done this is to bring 30 pounds of french fries and put it up on the stage and show you. Some of you would have gone after it instead of just looking at it. <laughs> the problem with food is, it's not that we don't have it, we're just not eating the right stuff. It's not that it's not there, it's just that we're choosing the wrong stuff to eat. In fact, 41% of adults eat no fruit in a two-month period. 82% eat no vegetables that haven't been severely processed and cooked until the nourishment is out of them. Now, what does that all have to do with Scripture? The first thing that David says is, teach me your way, O Lord. And the truth is, just as we are malnourished as Americans when it comes to food, most of us are malnourished when it comes in our intake of God's Word. That we are feeding on all kinds of stuff out there, all the fast food stuff, all the mindless babble. We're watching TV, we're reading the internet, we're reading the newspapers, we're listening to the radio, we're filling our minds with a bunch of junk food. And yet we have no ability to discern what the good stuff is. I saw a couple of statistics this week. One said that when asked if they could give the Ten Commandments, adults that identified themselves as Christians, only 5% could do it. Now, I'm not going to ask you here today whether you can do that or not. Only 5% of adults who claim to be Christians can name the Ten Commandments. Now, here's an interesting thing. I, I was watching a, one of these uh, mock news shows recently, and he, he was going around to each congressional district talking to the congressional representative there, and this was a particularly uh, interesting interview because he was talking to the guy that was fighting hard to get the Ten Commandments put up somewhere. I don't remember if it was in a, a judicial place, I don't remember if it was in a school, where it was, but he was fighting hard for that. Now listen to me, I, I believe in the Ten Commandments, I believe they ought to be posted, we can post them wherever we can post them because they're important rules of law that God has given us. 
But what's interesting is, he was asking these questions. Why are the Ten Commandments? Because they guide us. Because they're important. They're God's standard. He went through five minutes of questions about the Ten Commandments. This guy given everything he could about why the Ten Commandments were important. Then the interviewer said, all right, can you name the Ten Commandments? He named two. Now listen, I'm all for putting the Ten Commandments up, but the truth is a lot of us fight for the Ten Commandments to be put them up, mainly so we can read them so we know what they are. Because we don't know them ourselves. Here's another one. When asked the question, who came first, Moses or Abraham? The most common response was, I don't know. Now again, I'm not asking you if you know that. But the point is that we just aren't feeding on Scripture. I heard about two guys that were uh, lawyers in the same town and they showed up at church on the same day and they were both surprised that the other was there. And they began to talk amongst themselves and accuse each other of the fact that they were only there for gain in their particular profession. And one of them looked at the other and said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $50 right now if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. And the other one looked at him and said, all right, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before my wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. He said, man, and I didn't think you knew that. <laughs> We've got to feed on God's Word. Let me just tell you, just, just reading it a little bit, just hearing it from me is not enough. You need to feed on God's Word. I want to give you a, an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. If you look it up and it's pronounced some other way, just ignore their pronunciation. That's mine. It's basically the reading of the divine. There are four steps to it, and just simply take a passage of Scripture and read. First of all, you need to read it. Here is a novel concept in our world today. It's called reading. Read it. Read it slowly. Don't read it quickly. Don't try to get through as much as you can. Pick out certain passages. I'm not saying that the read through the Bible programs are bad. I read through the Bible, try to every year, try to use a, a pattern and, and get through that. That's not bad. But that's not all the reading you need to do. You need to focus on certain passages of Scripture and read it. Maybe over the next week, as we're going through vacation Bible school, you're going to read Psalm 86 and just read it over and over again. You just read it. Here's the second thing. Let it soak in. Now, in the ancient world, they call that meditating. But in our world, that has so many different connotations, I just decided to break it down to let it soak in. In other words, just read it and let it sit. We've talked about before that sometimes the best soups are made when you just put all the ingredients in and you just let it simmer, right? You just need to let the Word simmer. So that means... You read Psalm 86, you read three or four verses of Scripture, and just all day you think about that. You just meditate on that. You, you soak it into your life. Here's the third thing. It's a novel concept as well. You pray about it. What is God, what, what are you wanting me to understand from this passage, Lord? What, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is Psalm 86? What did it mean to David? What does it mean to me today? And here's the last thing. Think about it. And this is what I mean by that. What do I need to do because of this passage of Scripture? Now, sometimes it's hard to start in certain areas of the Bible. I would not recommend, if you haven't been reading the Bible and you're going to want to start doing the Lectio Divina, I don't want you to go to the book of Leviticus and start, all right? Don't go to Obadiah. Pick out a New Testament book. Pick out 
uh, 1 Corinthians. Pick out the Gospel of John. Pick out Jonah that we went through as a passage and look back on that. Pick out a psalm and go through it. But just read it, meditate on it, pray about it, think about it, and ask the Lord what He wants you to do. The truth is that as Christians, one of the reasons that we are ineffective in the world is because we don't know what the Word teaches us to do in the world. And we've got to get that into our lives. We've got to be reading it on a constant basis. Here's the thing. I don't believe God is in heaven with a checkbook seeing whether or not you read today. But the truth is that my days mean a whole lot more when I understand what God's Word is teaching me in that moment. And my life is more fulfilled. It's not a thing I'm doing it so God can approve of me. It is doing it so I can know how to live for Him. And we must get it into our lives. Here's the second thing. Not only must we learn the truth, we must speak the truth. Now there's a couple of different things there, and we're going to go in one direction. I could talk today about honesty. I could talk about understanding that we ought to live lives that are honest and forthright, but that's not what I intend necessarily here. What I mean here is that we must speak what God teaches us. That we must be willing to share it. I think what's interesting in, in our culture is that when people get accused of something that's not true, they come out and they try to defend themselves, right? They try to speak the truth. I've been following this whole steroids thing in sports. It seems like every day some new athlete is, is accused or, or whatever. And one of the interesting figures in all that has been this Roger Clemens, right? Now, Roger Clemens has been pitching since I was 10 years old. So for two-thirds of my life, he's been a pitcher. And in that time, he was considered widely as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. His stats show that. He was the guy you wanted on the mound in the tough game. And then after his career was over, this Mitchell report comes out, and suddenly it says he was involved in steroids. And the first thing, whether you believe Roger Clemens or not, the first thing that happens is he comes out and says, it's not true, let me tell you the truth. And he is defending himself vigorously. Well, the thing is, in Scripture, we are taught truth after truth after truth. And in a world where lies are the norm or where uncertainty is assured, we've got to speak forth the truth. Isn't it amazing the world we live in when we doubt everything we hear? I listen to the candidates that are running for president. All three of them. Right? We may have three of them through November. I don't know. And here's the thing that I hate. Hate. No matter which one is speaking, I'm always thinking, all right, what part's true and what part is spin? What part is true and what part is not? I'm always thinking that. Well, Scripture teaches us that when we proclaim what God's Word teaches, we don't have to worry about that because it is 100% truth. And we are to speak forth that truth. Here's the thing. We are all to be evangelists. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go out here and preach and call all of a tent together to speak. But the word evangelist just means one who speaks 
good news. And we need to be the people that give the good news truth of God's Word. David wants to be equipped. He wants to be taught. He wants to have that undivided heart in his life. He wants to know the truth and speak it. On your handout and on the screen is the story of a guy named Micaiah. And he was a guy that is in the book of Jeremiah, is part of the group that finds this ancient text that they're looking at. And it says, and it's on your handout if you can't read it on the screen, that when Micaiah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll. Get this picture. He reads the scroll for the first time. He looks at it. He reads it. He went immediately, is the word that ought to be there, down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting. Get this idea. This guy Micaiah reads the truth of God's Word. He learns of it. He understands it. He begins to say, you know what? I can't keep this to myself. And he runs to tell people about it. It goes on to say in verse 16, after they get a report of what's going on after he speaks, it says, when they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said, we must report all these words to the king. Their first reaction was, when we hear the word, when we understand it, we've got to go speak it. Now here's the thing you don't read in that passage. You can go back and look in Jeremiah. It was not positive, the words they were reading. They were condemning. They were problematic. They were words that caused them to realize they had fallen away from God. But their point was, we know the truth, we must speak it. I've said this before. It's amazing to me how when people get good news, they look for every possible avenue to share it. How many of you are grandparents? Let me see that again. All right, now, you can put your hands down. I want to see your hands raised. Let me, let me ask a question. When you had your first grandchild, how many of you didn't tell anybody for a week? I don't see any hands. How many of you told somebody within the first 30 minutes that you were a grandparent? Let me see those hands. Why? It's good news, right? You wanted people to know this amazing thing has happened. You wouldn't believe it. I am a grandparent. I get to spoil them and give them back to their parents. It's wonderful. When we have good news, we want to tell it. When things happen that are good in our lives, not just with grandchildren, but with anything, we want to tell it. When Eli and Luke took their first steps, we called grandparents because we wanted to share the good news. When things happen in our lives, we were yesterday, we were in Jackson because Susan's nephew's getting married later in the summer. They have sent out 500 invitations. Heaven help them. Why? Because it's good news, right? And what is amazing to me is that if you look in the lives of believers in Christ, they will want to tell everybody about good news except for the greatest news they possess. That Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the grave and has saved them from an eternity separated from Him. That is good news. And what Scripture teaches is we want to learn it. We want to understand it. And then we want to speak it. And here's the last thing and the most difficult of the three. We must live the truth. We must live the truth. Look what Psalm 86 says there, again in verse 11. 
Teach me Your way, O Lord, and I will walk in Your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear Your name. Now, you understand that in that day and time, fear Your name meant to live in a reverential manner. To live with an understanding of who God is and living out Your faith through Him. That He wanted to understand that we were going to have an undivided heart. That we're going to fear Him. That we're going to walk in His truth. We're going to live as God intends for us to live. We're going to live His truth. great preacher of a couple of centuries ago, a guy named D.L. Moody, once said that either you will have the Bible keep you from sin or you will have sin keep you from the Bible. And the truth is that when you learn God's truth, it's not fully understood until you can speak it and you live it. There are people that I have met in my life that were unbelievable in their knowledge of Scripture, and yet they didn't live in the way God had called them to live. You see, there are people in my life that I have known that they could never make that 18-inch jump from the head to the heart. Or depending on how tall you are, in my case, the 5-foot-10 jump from the head to the feet to put into action what I know is true. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in our lives have those blind spots. You know what blind spots are, don't you? Cars today don't try not to have as many blind spots as they used to, but they all have them. Those little areas where you're driving along and you're getting into the next lane and you've looked in your mirrors, both of them, the one up top and the one on the side, and you've looked to try to see, but you still can't see because they're right in that blind spot. Driving to Jackson, we got behind an 18-wheeler that decided it was time for him to come over into my lane. I just happened to be in the blind spot. I recognized he wanted to come over and so I slowed down. That's what happens when you're going to little vehicle versus a big one, right? So I slowed down. Well, all of us have blind spots in our lives. Those things that we don't see that we're doing wrong, which is the whole point of God revealing His Word in Scripture, is because when you read through Scripture, those blind spots are going to be revealed. The question is, are you going to obey? Look over in the book of James. You've got your Bibles open to Psalm. We're not going to go back there. You can turn over to James and we're going to end there. Because in the book of James, he gives us three things that we can see. Three things that we can see that can help us to understand about what we need to do in order to live as we ought to. It's a passage of Scripture that we've talked about a little bit before. It's one of my favorite passage of Scripture because of the word, the, just the picture that is there. But in verse 19 of chapter 1 of the book of James, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Chapter 1, verse 19. This is one of those verses, if you don't have underlined in your Bible, you ought to underline it, you ought to put it in places. It's one of those that is important for us to understand how to live for the Lord. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. We live in a world that tells us our opinion matters. We've got to get it out there. We've got to say it. We've got to stand up for ourselves. When God says we need to be quick to listen, slow to sleep, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do 
what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, the key word there is intently, in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Just a little note there in verse 25. One of the most interesting things that says there is that when we follow God's law, we have freedom. You see, we live in a time when people think freedom means being able to do whatever you want to do. But under Scripture's terms, freedom is being set free to live as God intends for us to live. And that means that there are some boundaries and some rules. I heard about a mom one day that got up and went up and woke her son up and said it's time to get up. And he said, I'm not getting up today. He said, today is a day of complete freedom. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. She said, okay, we'll play that way. So she walked out. About 11 o'clock, he got up. Walked in and said, where's breakfast? She said, today is a day of complete freedom. I decided I did not want to cook breakfast today. A little bit later, he went out into the garage, and there his younger brother was riding his bike, and he said, Mom, tell him to get off of my bike. And his brother said, today is a day of complete freedom. By bedtime that night, he said, I don't want any more freedom. Now here's the thing. When we don't have boundaries, it's not freedom. But God gives us some boundaries. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Verse 22 basically tells us that unless we do what God's Word says, we're deceiving ourselves. It's like that parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when the two guys build the houses and one builds on the rock and one builds on the sand and a storm comes through. Anybody get awakened by a storm last night? Looked like strobe lighting in my house. And as they were, they, they, the storm comes and the waters rise, one of them is knocked over and one of them stands firm. And Jesus says, the one that stands firm is the one that hears my message and does what I have said. That's what James says here. You've got to do what I say. Otherwise, it's like you look in the mirror, you realize how terrible you look, and you don't do anything to fix it. But when you do that, you get freedom and you want. Three things that it means to live the truth from this passage of Scripture. That There are other things, but these three things are very important. First of all, we've got to control our tongue. You ever heard somebody say, they say something and they say, I really didn't mean that. Anybody ever heard that? The truth is we usually mean it. I think one of the most interesting things that has happened in our culture is the way that people apologize for what they say now and the way they apologize. I apologize if what I said offended anybody. You hear that all the time, don't you? I apologize if my words were found offensive by anybody. Here's the reality. They were offensive to somebody or you wouldn't be saying that. And that's a far cry from actually saying, I was wrong. I apologize. The truth is, our tongues get us in more trouble than anything else. We talked a few weeks ago about gossip and slander. 
about talking bad about people, about causing infighting. And the truth is that James would say that we can tame all kinds of wild animals, but we cannot tame the tongue. If you're going to live the truth, you've got to control your tongue. Perhaps today as you're sitting here, you can think of an instance where you haven't controlled your tongue and there are consequences there and you might need to go and apologize. Not saying if I offended you, saying I was wrong. I apologize. Maybe it means over the next few weeks that that, that, that tongue of criticism is going to stop. Maybe it means over the next few weeks you're going to be uplifting and encouraging instead of tearing people down. The second thing is Paul's, or that the book of James, James says here is that we need to have compassion for the needy. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. We need to be on the outlook for needy people to help them as much as we can, to give like God has given. The truth is that God gave us this example in Christ when He died for us. But the third thing is not only control over the tongue, not only compassion for the needy, but we need to have clean living. That's what living the truth means. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pollution's a big issue in our country today, isn't it? People are going green everywhere. Pollution is something that we, we fight against. There are uh, billboards all over Tennessee that, said, that tell us to, that we've had enough of litter. And it, it's over. We need, we need to not have litter anymore, pollution anymore. There was a, I saw that Jacques Cousteau's relative was in Tennessee recently and said that we are contributing to uh, polluting the ocean. Now, the truth is we need to be good stewards of the land that God has given us and we need to be good stewards of what God has. But we as Christians often have to be careful of being polluted by the world in which we live. There are two extremes that Christians can go either way. One is to be polluted by the world, captured by the world. The other is to isolate ourselves from the world, and neither is the true answer. Part of living the truth is to be in the midst of this difficult place, in the midst where lies are all around us, and to live for God's glory in the truth that is here. The theme for this week is that we are going to live in God's unshakable truth, that we're going to know the truth, we're going to speak the truth, and we're going to live the truth. And the question that I simply have for you today is, are you doing those three things? Are you somebody that maybe has been malnourished spiritually because of your lack of reading in Scriptures? Are you somebody that doesn't know and you just depend? Listen, uh, I'm, I'm here Sunday mornings and, and part of what God has called me to do is to take His Word and expound on it for you and teach you from it. But if all you get is from me, then you're not being filled enough. And let me also say, if all you're getting is from me, and then you watch four TV preachers all week, that's not enough either. You need to be in the Word yourself. Are you speaking the truth? Are you telling people about what God has done in your life? Are you sharing what God is doing in your life? And are you living the truth? Just simple questions for you. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I just want to know whether you would commit to be someone that would speak the truth, live the truth, know the truth. Whether you would commit to be someone that would make a commitment this summer as we're starting June 1st today. I know summer starts on Memorial Day weekend, but today is June 1st. And for the next two months, you're going to commit yourself to being in God's Word. I'm not going to tell you how much to read a day. 
or how much to be involved in it. But if you're somebody that says, I'm going to be more committed to reading God's Word now for these two months of summer, June and July, than I have been in the past, would you be willing to make that commitment today? When it comes to speaking the truth, would you be willing today to say, I want to speak the truth to people and I'm going to commit to once a week telling somebody about the things that God is doing in my life that are good. And that commitment is not just to your group of friends that you tell all the time, but maybe to somebody that's not a church member that needs to know about Christ. And then when it comes to living the truth, would you say there's this one area of my life that I haven't turned over the Lord. It's my blind spot. And for the next two months, I'm turning that over to the Lord and I'm going to live the truth. Always the invitation is here. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've come ready to do that, or if you have questions about that, I'll be here. If you have been visiting and know that this is the place God has planted you, this is the church He wants you to be involved of, then I'm here and the invitation is open. The invitation is open for prayer if you have needs that you want to bring before the Lord. But this morning, I also just want to extend the invitation about whether or not you would commit to a summer of knowing the truth, speaking the truth, and living the truth. Would you be willing to commit to that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You so much for this morning. I thank You for the excitement in this church. I thank You for all that is happening in this place. And Lord, I look forward to a great week, but Lord, I know that You're doing some business and some work on the lives and hearts of people right now. And so, Lord, I pray that You would just open them up to whatever You would want to do. Lord, that You would allow us to be honest with our emotions and our feelings and that we would be willing to open our lives to You. Lord, I pray for people in this room that need to to come to an understanding that they need to know the truth better. They need to commit to, to deeper Bible study this summer. Lord, I pray for people in this room that, that need to commit to, to speaking the truth, that they haven't been telling people about what you are or what you've been doing in their lives, about who you are in their lives. And Lord, that they need to do that. They need to commit. Lord, I pray for those in this room that, Lord, they know there are areas of their lives that they're not living for you. And Lord, while it may be tough to admit that and come clean of that, Lord, I pray that in this room you would give them the courage to do so. Lord, that they might be free and experience true freedom within your boundaries. Lord, I know that you desire to work on the hearts and lives of individuals today. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just work through their lives, give them courage to obey. And Lord, that we'll give you the glory for what is done. In Jesus' name I pray.